Welcome to the weekend must watch on Intercut, where we wade our way through the week in theaters, streaming, and on demand. I am your co-host, Zach Shevich, and joining me, some people would say he's the villain of this story. It's Arturo Zurita. Damn, bro, I don't even get that Elvis bit. I got Tom Hanks over here. <laughs> Somebody's got to be the colonel in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the, I'll be the Oscar winner, but hey, maybe maybe there's an Oscar in Austin's future as well. But yeah, uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you finished watching Elvis. Uh, I thought you would still have been in the third act. That would have still been running for you, but I'm glad you're able to wrap that one up. And uh, long also movie, Black Yeah, it was a very long movie, but. Uh, you know, I think it was a solid release for movies this week, uh, especially yeah. as we lead into July. I think we're about to get a, a lot more theatrical experiences because even when I went to go see Elvis, that thing practically sold out, man. Uh, I, I cleared. I like, you know, I took multiple uh, COVID tests just to make sure that I was ready and healthy to get back into theaters. And then there's a elderly lady sitting next to me, dude. Like, I think she saw Elvis. I think she witnessed the wiggle firsthand. So the Dolby did nothing for her. But I had like, I felt a little tickle in my throat. And I was like, I can't do this, man. One cough and that lady's gone. She's not gonna be able to be here for the third half. Um, but yeah, I think movies are coming back stronger than ever with the releases that we have this week. And uh, yeah. some may, yeah, I mean, may take it all the way to the Oscars, according to a lot of the buzz that people have out of this. But I'm curious your thoughts. But Yeah, it's potentially. I mean, you know, there's a lot of buzz about theaters being back, people going to the movies again. You know, we've had a couple weeks, as you sort of were alluding to, where we haven't had a lot in theaters. There's kind of been clearing the paths for for Top Gun, for Jurassic Park. And this was like a classic summer yes. movie weekend where you get a couple options and, you know, there's there's good stuff to see and people are really going out. It's it, There's a pretty healthy crowd, it seems like, for Elvis. But, I mean, the big surprise, if we're going to just talk box office for a second, Top Gun several weeks now Bro. after its release more basically a month after its release back at number one in the box office my crazy prediction before of it being a top you 10 right. grossing of all time it's at 15 it, it might do it our boy Bro, tom might do it that came out of nowhere i'm just scrolling on my phone trying to check the weather and the news app is like top gun has reached 900 <laughs> Not, like when did it reach 900 and then, yeah, dude, a billion. That is insane. I want to go see it again. I was looking through my theater stuff, and they brought it back on 40X. They took Jurassic World. They didn't even bother with Lightyear. They put this bad boy back on 40X for people to catch, which uh, I, I was. I had the chance to catch it. I'd recommend it if you want to see Top Gun again, and you're like, I want to see it in a different type of theater. Maybe you've seen it in IMAX. Go strap yourself in and be in the danger zone. Uh, I would recommend the 40X on that one. I, I am still curious to see the Screen X, because that's the one I didn't get to see, mm. dude. And I think that they still have a couple of screenings somewhere in the United States. So if you do have a chance to see that, let us know, because this is like the one movie where they actually filmed it for the most screens. But you, yeah, you were, you were spot on, dude. A billion dollars for Tom Cruise. I think this makes it yeah. his highest grossing. Oh, it must be at this point. Easily. It was his highest opening, and it's just made so much money. So, yeah, uh, Tom Tom is in the big leagues with the box office. But uh, this weekend, it was all about the Black Phone and Elvis. So if we're going to get into our what we're watching art, uh, what should we start with? You want to go with horror or a bit of a music biopic? Start the one that had people coming out of their pants. 
Black Phone. <laughs> to some people, it might be Elvis. But I want to talk about, I want to talk about Black Phone because you gave it the recommendation last week. I know this yeah. was a movie that had its release date moved several times. It premiered at a couple of festivals. It, it had that like coveted a hundred percent rating as of whatever the date is that it has on the trailer. Um, but it comes from Scott Derrickson, who previously did Sinister. A lot of people mm-hmm. know he worked with Marvel and then departed ways for Doctor Strange Two. Uh, I rewatched Sinister recently. That movie is dreadful. That movie is horrendous, and it's actually a really solid horror movie. Yeah, you mean those in terms literally, I believe. Easily, yeah. Until it gets these really dumb, 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 dumb jump scares that I think uh, Black Phone is also guilty of. There are a couple of really dumb jump scares that happen mm-hmm. in Black Phone, but I thought Black Phone was more of a thriller than it was a horror. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, the horror elements are a little bit bare bones in the Black Phone. Uh, It's something that I actually appreciated a little bit about it, that it's not like it's not pointing to some deep lore that we're going to discover in the next movie. And it's not like a big metaphor for society. It's kind of like this is a movie about how scary it must be to be a kidnapping victim. Uh, And it's accentuated and, and exaggerated and brought into like the Scott Derrickson, Robert Cargill lens. But I, I dug um, the ways in which they kind of added that, that scary unsettling tension to this, uh, what otherwise could be maybe like a more bare bones kidnapper plot. Did you enjoy it or are you kind of on the fence about it? Uh, no, I, I would say I'm on the I'm on the more positive side. I think if you're going in for a horror, mm-hmm. it's one of those where I like the themes of it and the whole sibling. Like, it's really a sibling story because uh, it's not just a kidnapping that's happening between these boys, but you're mainly following uh, these two right here who live in an abusive home. So they're not just dealing with the horrors of what's going to happen to them if one of them gets kidnapped, but the horrors of being at home with their uh, alcoholic father. Um, I like her performance a lot more than I liked his. I'd say she's written to definitely be a lot over the top, but there's yeah. a line she delivers in this movie, <clears throat> excuse me, that had the movie theater e- erupted. It's a scene with the cops. I think uh, that a lot of people for their screenings, that's the one line that I think gets everybody to like how I know that mm-hmm. she was supposed to do a movie uh, for Disney or something. So they were going to have to recast her. And he, Scott Derrickson's like, nah, I want her in this movie. We will literally wait. <laughs> and it was because of her auditioning with that police scene uh, that she made it to the film. So I, I really awesome. like the sibling um, dynamic that they had going on and uh, the setting. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like, he wasn't dissing Stranger Things, but Scott Derrickson was like, everybody looks at the 70s and the 80s as this like mystical time. But I lived in Denver and there was like, Ted Bundy was here and there's all these serial killers <laughs> and everything. He's like, that's how I remember nostalgia. He definitely there flipped was- it on its head. Yeah, there was something about the the direction of it that, you know, I don't want to I don't want to accidentally hyperbolize this and say that like this is amazing, but in the way that it was sort of like trying to be a frank depiction of the times, like I almost got some Mindhunter vibes yes. in elements. Rightfully that, so. I feel like they're definitely inspired by it, if not like directly trying to crib it, especially the way that like that whole title sequence comes out feels like they're trying to crib Mindhunter. Um, so yeah, I mean, if maybe that is a better indicator of the type of, of movie. Uh, movie this is, that it's not necessarily your straightforward uh, horror, that it is more set more in the real world, at least to an extent. It definitely has a, a foot in the supernatural. What'd um, you think of that, dude? Because I know he loves doing this where he likes to play a very grounded element. And I think yeah. the the whole idea of the grabber, grabbing mm-hmm. kids, is very much in a grounded element. 
Mm-hmm. But then you have two supernatural things. I don't want to mention one with the sister because I don't know how much of that is in the trailers. But obviously mm-hmm. the whole dynamic of the phone. The black he, phone. The kid is getting calls on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally feel like sometimes one undercuts the other because if you're dealing with something so grounded and then you have like a supernatural cop-out way, mm-hmm. it can kind of get in the way. But then there's a line that a character says in this movie where there's like, he, the kid practically says, you need blood. For the crowd, you know? And that's practically yeah. the filmmakers telling you, you kind of need a little hook. You know, yeah. this is Blumhouse. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if we don't have that element, this is like a horrifying movie and not it's kind of a fun one. just Mindhunters again, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I had fun with this. And I think that black phone element was part of what made it fun. Like, there, there's, there's this, like, puzzle element to it almost. Um, I, it, I enjoyed it. And again, like, that's one of the things that they could have gone deeper into like how does this work what does it mean and i i just appreciate it just sort of being a element of the movie you know not not mm-hmm. something that has to be overly important or overly explained yeah i would say I, d- definitely go catch it for uh, a sequence i'll just say it's the dreams are not my dreams uh sequence and for ethan hawk i don't know how you felt about the man but i i thought he did a pretty good job with his yeah role. I've seen some people disappointed that uh, he was maybe not a bigger element to the movie or something like that. I thought he's really good, like terrifying in in a very like unsettling, uh, I don't know, just... It's like split almost. Yeah, like the, the, like the... The, he's so kind in moments that it's creepy. And I, I think that's creepier rather than having this like foreboding, loud, yelly guy. Um, it just that clownish nature to him. It was very, very fun. Um, it's also, funny you say that. Because yeah. I read the short story and in the short story he's supposed to be a clown. Oh, there you go. So you had the clown and then you had the black balloons, not the red balloons. You had right. someone in a, ra- in a rain jacket. Uh, they hate being compared to uh, Stephen King's It. But it is funny. That the short story comes from Joe Hill, who is Stephen, Stephen King's, King's son-in-law or son, no, son-in-law. son directly, yeah, directly just son. His name. My bad. Um, but yeah, no, I thought he was really good in the movie. I like what they did with the masks. That whole idea of yeah. like depending on his different personality, the mask kind of changes. You see a little bit say, of that in the very trailer. Very cool mask. Sometimes a horror movie like this, like if you just have a cool element like that, it goes a really long way. Yes, and that's a very cool mask. I, I'm not. I was gonna say looking forward to it, but I'm definitely not looking forward to seeing that in Halloween. On costumes. Halloween, yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, it's Blumhouse. You know, he he, he sold those purge masks, but yeah. overall, I think I think it's a it's a solid thriller. Uh, with horror elements that I think were, are there for people who want to be drawn in for that. Uh, it's definitely worth a rental for me, but I, I'm sitting at it at like, like a junior price because I saw it with a packed audience on opening night and everybody had reactions to certain elements in the movie. Um, not better than Sinister. If you haven't caught that one, go back mm-hmm. and revisit that one. That one's crazy. Do you like it more than Sinister? I still need to catch up with Sinister. I know, oh, I know. Dude. You don't have to watch Sinister too, but watch Sinister. There is actually a cop in that movie that will surprise you because they're also in this movie. <laughs> I'll just say he's got his own little universe going on. He, he took notes from Marvel. Interesting. Um, I will, will say this. Going into Thursday, you know that we're like, there's something wrong in the world. When I'm looking at Alina asking her, do we need to catch up on any prequels or one, two, or three? And the movies of the week are Black Phone and Elvis. But I was really wondering, am I behind? What do I need to catch up with? Right. Have I not seen Elvis Ragnarok? Elvis, <laughs> however, is supposed to be the big biopic on the legend Brought to you by Boz Lerman, who, if you don't know, what hasn't he done? What classic tale has he not remixed and <laughs> uh, however much you want to call it, modernized and changed up to be uh, just like an extravagant fest? If there's something that I would compare Boz to is uh, just excess. 
yeah. whatever you think you're going to get from his movie, people come into it and they say it's too much or it wasn't tame. It says Baz Luhrmann on the poster. You should know what you're getting at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you didn't learn from Moulin Rouge and Great Gatsby. Romeo and I, Juliet. Yeah. You're just not going to learn your lesson at this point. Yeah. Where does it fall for you? And how do you feel about Baz Luhrmann? You and I have never had a Baz bracket. <laughs> we we haven't had a Boz bracket, and I don't know if it'd be a very interesting episode because I I kind of feel like Boz hasn't really done a very good movie in maybe like twenty years at this point. I love Moulin Rouge, but not not like a a whole lot else since then. Wow, uh, at least from from Boz. That being said, I do like he's one of those directors that I. I want to see when he does something new and I'm glad that he's out there making stuff like I don't love a lot of what he does but I will I will fight for his right to do it because he's <laughs> singular you know we yeah. we, ha- we don't have enough of these singular vision guys who you you just need to see a couple frames and you know instantly that That's is a Baz Luhrmann movie and this one is no different than that it, whether it's the like rapid cuts or the instant intense match cuts in every other moment there was a match cut that dissolved into another match cut in this movie. Yes, That's sir. how over the top yes, Baz Luhrmann gets with it. And in certain moments, it really, really works. I think to get at the the bombast, the excitement, the grandiosity of an Elvis Presley performance, to match it with Baz Luhrmann, really, his style really accentuates what makes it special. Like you get those quick zooms on on uh, him gyrating or those quick zooms on the, the screaming Pumas. faces on the crowds. Yeah, the, those slow-mos of the thrusts and whatever. And it just, I think it it does make those parts of the film momentous. And then there's other moments that are like the more expository moments or the story moments or the Tom Hanks talks in a weird narrator voice moments that lost me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Overall, I, I actually think I like this one, and it's probably my favorite Baz Luhrmann movie since Moulin Rouge. Um, I've, there's a whole lot I didn't like about it, but ultimately I enjoyed my time in the theater. So, Damn. yeah, I, I, I guess I'm positive on it. It's a lot of movie, uh, but some of it's pretty good. It's a very long movie. Do you think it uses its runtime to its fullest potential? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. There's so much of like Tom Hanks doing this weird voice and everybody else just sort of like looking the other way as he cartoonishly is like, oh, I'm doing this for your own good. It, it, I don't know, man. Um, I think like obviously the Colonel's influence over Elvis Presley's career is kind of like the defining story of That's like, structure, Elvis's yeah. career. But in the way it plays out in the film, it's like two hours of him obviously screwing Elvis over and them, him not realizing it until like an hour and a half into it, you know? Yeah. I'm sur- like, it's surprising he doesn't have a mustache because if he did, he'd be twirling it for the two All hours the and 39 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I thought it's an interesting approach to have it be that it's a three-part story of Elvis as he's contained by this, you know, because he runs like a circus, right? He's the dude who's uh, touring around with a different type of, you know, like performances. Then he gets into music and he realizes, ah, this is like my biggest thing that I can show off into the world. Uh, It does make it less of an Elvis movie and more of a manager gone wrong movie. And I agree with you there. And I think uh, that between both of their performances, he hams it up a lot. But I really like Austin Butler. Austin Butler is kind of very good in this one, man. There's, uh, a, 
there's a part in it because you had mentioned Moulin Rouge and I had just yeah. seen it recently in theater, like yeah. like on Broadway. Because you go see a show, you know that you, the difference between a stage performance and a movie is that you're going to get stuff that's very over the top. The mm-hmm. makeup has to accentuate itself. You're not supposed to do that on film and they did with both yeah. of the prosthetics with the way that they act. But after like a little bit, I think if you've seen the trailer and you think that both of their prosthetics kind of get in the way, Hanks isn't going to like change your mind once you're in the movie but there's something about austin where he just dissolves into this specific movie and what they're going for that it works it, it works very it really well. works it works very well i think he does like a a very good job of embodying uh the the physicality of the role and even the voice too i think is like very solid it, it they're they're I, I was not really seeing Austin at certain points, which is, I think, wow. you know, the the highest compliment you can give a performance like that, that right? Good. And, like, ultimately, yeah, there's, like, a lot of impression in it, but I it's an extremely solid impression and extremely uh, full-bodied. And I don't know. Um, it worked very well for me. And it's just funny because it's contrasted against what I think is one of the more embarrassing Tom Hanks performances <laughs> ever. Um, I That one did not work for me at all. I had to go and look up interviews with the colonel afterward. It's not his voice at all. Yeah. And he keeps claiming you. nobody knows the colonel. Nobody really knew about him. So I'm able to create this character. I'm like, bro, get out of here. He really, that's why I had asked you early on. I was like, there's a certain yeah. point where it almost feels like they're trying to make Elvis a supporting character character in his own damn movie i know i for what it's worth i think they're co-leads but he he might have more screen time that's crazy less interesting like that That it's a failure in the writing of the movie that (sighs) they didn't just tip the bat like i what i wanted was a little bit more for a movie that's about ostensibly about elvis presley there was not a whole lot of elvis music like maybe in the latter half there's you get more of the performances Mm -hmm. but there's one scene where he is writing a song. There's like not a whole lot of the like the, he puts out this song and look at the wave of success that follows and everybody's listening to this on the right. Like, you know, the one thing is uh, we heard rumors of there would be Backstreet Boys and uh, Britney Spears. All those modern musical elements I actually thought were a lot less prevalent than I expected them to be and just really? kind of like nicely sort of like woven in in a way to add context and not re- distract but ultimately it's Elvis man put as much Elvis music as you can in this thing I I think with Austin they were able to really do well on like the way that he performed the uh, mainly the idea of his relationship with the crowd right yes. because that's the one thing again it really is through the eyes of Tom Hanks character dude it's him <laughs> seeing like wow he does a really good job at engaging with people. So that's what you're seeing for Elvis. You're only seeing Elvis through his point of view. And I think, like you said, I wanted to see the Elvis who's writing his stuff. Yeah. I want to see the Elvis who's going down this turmoil. And it's almost like one of those movies where it expects you to already know everything about Elvis. So yeah, mm-hmm. you see the the Band-Aid on his hand. We're just going to make sure that we get the details down right, but we're not going to expand on them. This is a movie where it has the blessing of the estate. And if I ran the estate, I would be very, very, very happy with this movie. It's all right. I will say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he he's doing the best that he can with the script. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Um but I think he deserved even more, uh, in my opinion. So, I mean, this is not going to be the only Elvis movie we're ever going to get. Uh, no. You know, he's such a big character that there's going to be a point where, you know, you're going to get different incarnations. Uh, recently, I was able to catch, there's one, I don't know if you've seen this one. It is, uh, it's called Elvis and Nixon. Yes, the Michael Shannon, uh, who, who plays Nixon in that one? Jeez. House of Cards? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man. Uh, that was another Tribeca premiere, actually, believe it really? or not. Really? Okay, yeah. so that's a very interesting take on Elvis. Uh, and it reminded me, it really showcases, you don't really get to see Elvis, the man, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Elvis has a lot of passions and a lot of things that he carries with him and things that he collects and just a manner of speaking. And you don't really get to focus yeah. uh, on that type of Elvis in this movie. But it is all about the grandeur. And I think for that, I thought it was a very interesting way to look back at him. Uh, you know, some may argue that uh, the way that they incorporate his like his passions early on on being in like the gospel church culture and how he gets influenced by that. I think they really cited on the idea of like he was like the person who brought them together. And mm-hmm. it's okay to get a little bit dirty when they get to his drug stuff. They just like get to it pretty quickly and yeah. uh, there's like an argument with Priscilla. You don't really get to focus in on the pitfalls as much as it is like the turbulence within the tour. Um, but for what it's going for, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think this is a movie where I, yeah. I do think you feel the three hours, but it also still feels like there should have been a lot more. So it's like both a compliment and a negative. A miniseries yeah, would have been yeah. great, as you know. Miniseries would have been fantastic, but totally. the get down did not do well for him. So they know better <laughs> than to give him miniseries money again. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, ultimately, to make a movie, you have to decide like certain elements of the story to sacrifice. And I was, I, I don't know, I think they maybe sacrificed some elements of the story that I, I wish they'd kept in there. I did kind of yeah. like the elements where they, they showed like the lineage of his music and how much of it was borrowed from, from black musicians. And <laughs> I, I don't know. I thought it was cool. It, yeah, uh-huh. Borrowed's maybe the well, nice way to put it. What a hero. I'll just say that there's a bunch of stuff uh, that they showcase in the trailers and that's not how it plays out in the movie. <laughs> but yeah, no, I would give this my recommendation. Definitely check it out in Adobe mix if you can, because yep. I think they do a fantastic job with the sound. I know that, Butler for the first half of the movie, all the early songs that Elvis does, he sang. And then for the latter half, they combined his voice with Elvis's recording. So mm. that's pretty cool. So uh, do you think we'll be talking about this movie later on in award season? It's just a question I got to ask. I'm obligated. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, it's weird because so whenever you bring up music biopics, at least from recent Oscars memory, you have to talk about how uh, Rami Malek, of course, won for playing Freddie Mercury despite lip syncing all the stuff. And somehow Taron Egerton giving what I thought was a better performance Rocket in Rocket Man, Man completely overlooked by the Oscars, won the Golden Globe, but did not get that nomination even, let alone a win. So the Oscars can be very hit or miss and kind of for no discernible reason in terms of who they want to, like maybe it's just because uh, we had Bohemian Rhapsody earlier, but I I don't know, man. Um, The fact that it is in such a weird, splashy movie that I don't think will do well in other categories makes me think he has less of a chance. Like if if this was a great movie that was going to get eight, nominations below the line that's one thing and you know maybe because there are, is a lot of like technical mastery at work here i mm-hmm. just i get the feeling that this is going to be one of those that's on the outside looking in especially since it is coming in the summer and we we still have a whole film festival award season to go through you mentioned bo bohemian rhapsody so i'm 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 rooting for the guy. I would love to see him yeah. at least get the nomination. Yeah. Uh, and since you were talking about the awards, the Bohemian one, it also won editing. Don't forget that. So, good point. I know that this isn't the best editing, but I think for what the movie is going for, 
I think it's very excessive editing, and I yes. very much enjoyed the way it was cutting the things. It is a lot, and it almost makes you feel as exhausted as this man when he went on tour. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hey, I don't know, may- maybe an editing thing, but I don't see anything for writing. I don't see anything for a lot of the other categories there. Um, and if Tom Hanks gets a nomination, bro, you know, oh my god, then you know something's would, off. It would be fitting after all the great performances that he's been overlooked for for not even getting a nomination for that Captain Phillips performance. That this is the movie that brought him back to the Oscars, but I wouldn't be surprised by it either. We'll see. Overall, I give it a combo price. If you have the chance to go see this in Adobe Theater, it was packed for mine. I can. I feel it's going to continue to be packed for this July Fourth weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. Go give it a watch. And see it in the middle know. of the afternoon because it'll be full of boomers who are around and really appreciate Elvis. Nah, bro. You know, remember how they react in the trailer or, or, or in the first dance sequence where they just yeah. can't help it? That was a ladies' night scene, man. I thought they were about to croak. <laughs> But they loved it. So Black Phone uh, and Elvis out in theaters. There's also some new stuff that was out in streaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah guys got to go to theaters because the streaming wasn't <laughs> the strongest one. We had a new one from Netflix called The Man from Toronto. Unless it's Kevin saying it, then it's The Man from Toronto. Uh, this <laughs> is an action buddy comedy like it's not a buddy cop it's like a buddy assassin thing kevin hart plays that character you've seen kevin hart play all the time you know he's Mm -hmm. just a regular uh dude who just wants to be with his wife and he decides to do this whole like kind of getaway where he accidentally books the same place it's the way he printed it out uh where he ends up mixed up with the wrong crowd where the cabin he's supposed to go to is actually where a big assassin known as only the man from toronto played by uh woody harrelson is supposed to do a sort of hit so now everyone thinks kevin zach everyone thinks kevin hart is the man from toronto but he's not the man from toronto Obviously. it's it's woody bro uh, and right. that's the movie uh i don't know if you had the chance to catch this one no i didn't streaming is the perfect place for a movie like this you know you have your quips from kevin hart yeah. you have the whole banter of him playing you know the very uh quirky guy who wants to do no contact boxing whereas woody harrelson very interestingly enough for those of you who don't know google Wiki Woody Harrelson and uh, check out how what he had to do to really get into this role of a serial killer. Um, they, they both play off of each other the way that you expect them to. There is some good action sequences, I would say. There's a sequence that happens up on a plane where I thought the hand-to-hand combat was pretty cool. And then it just mm-hmm. gets full green screen. And that's the way that they handle the comedy. That's the way that they handle the script. You know Netflix. They've, they've been known for having these really big actors yeah. in these uh, what would have been meddling theater action movies sitting perfectly at home, did the number one spot. Actually, I don't even think it did the number one spot. Sing took it from it. Mm. Who would have thought? Yeah. So uh, there is probably yeah. no reason to see this, unless you're hanging out with your dad this weekend, and then, I guess, check it out for that reason. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Hart has a pretty well-established relationship with Netflix at this point, and I guess that, you know, f- there's a good reason why. It seems like his movies often are the kind of films that are designed to be watched, kind of half-watched on a, a service like Netflix. Um, he's really trying to do these action comedies, though. He keeps returning to them, Ride Along and Jumanji. And, uh, do, is he is he any more convincing with the action stuff? Is, is it work for you? No, because he does that, that thing where he pretends like he's not the action guy. He's the yeah. regular dude. So that when the action sequences happen, he's given that thing where he's like, 
what's it called? Uh, yeah, that, not only that, but like he sets you up to not expect anything. So then, right. if he does an action move, he's like, "Wow, the ordinary guy did that." It's very clever. He's very right. clever at doing that. Yeah, uh, keeps the bar pretty low. He—that's what it is. He puts the bar low so he can exceed your <laughs> expectations, type stuff. So, yeah, uh, unless you're curious uh, in catching the new Kevin Hart action flick and the previous ones have lived up to it, this would be a super low rent it for me, which is exactly what a stream it is for. So, stream this cool. one only if you're curious. Uh, the other thing that was out, you caught it. I caught it. It's an A twenty four production that isn't really a movie. It's not really <laughs> considered a special. I don't know the name of this thing. But before we even talk about what we think of it, I love this idea, this concept of being able yes. to use streaming to get two comedians to come together and create this crazy sketch thing. That's like almost an anthology skit series i don't know what it is but that's what's so beautiful about it would it kill you to laugh starring kate bellant and john early they're both really good in a lot of things that i've seen them in uh she i, I really first time I, I remember seeing her was in sorry to bother you uh yeah. and i've seen him in like a dozen stuff uh i know he's in the I show love that him you like from tbs search party yeah search party. uh he's one of the writers in that mindy kaling movie late night he's very funny mm-hmm. in but yeah he shows up on a bunch of stuff and it's funny and uh kate berlant also starting to show up in in stuff and uh, be very funny. She's in that Garfield sketch from the first season of I Think You Should Leave. He's in the he's in season two or three where he doesn't yes. want to pay the bill. Yes, yes. Oh, he was really good in that one. If you've seen him in any of that stuff, this is them for 50, right? 55 minutes straight. Yeah. Just doing, I don't even know what you call How would you break this down? <laughs> well, it's like a very sort of millennial stereotype uh, you know, comedy character humor. It, it it's very like modern in the the types of people it's skewering, but it's also got this weird absurdist thing happening. Okay, There's I an was entire... going to say that. that was the exact word I wanted to say, but I wasn't sure if that's like yeah. this is the proper word to use. But it really is. Yeah, like there's this entire sketch done where they're in like beaver costumes that are beaver never family. really ad- addressed, like a, or like made an important part of the sketch, really? Well, the important part was they might have sold the rights away and it takes 90 days for you to be able to get your eye retina back. <laughs> uh, Dude, everybody, they pay in caramel? They pay in hot caramel ladles? And it's just, it, it, there's like a creativity and inventiveness and just completely nonsensical zaniness to so much of it that it makes it very funny. But there's also these really... Uh, uh, clever ideas going on. I like the one sketch about the guys who are uh, doing home renovations that ends with the bit about the row homes. I don't know. Mm. There's there's pretty funny bits in there. I, it's also, uh, we didn't even sort of mention that the whole thing is constructed around this idea that they are a comedy duo reuniting yeah. after 20 years apart uh, in a special hosted by Meredith Vieira. So it's just like, there's all these weird layers to it, but it's it's very, very funny. And they make fun, like you were saying, uh, being millennial, they're like making fun of Will and Grace by just calling you exactly what the title would have been in like the writer's room. Uh, a lot of the sketches that they recall back on is just playing on a lot of tropes. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny. I don't think it was the funniest like special, I guess, that I've seen in the past year. Um, but I, I like that concept of being able to make a 
pre-written, not necessarily mm-hmm. a live variety show. Uh, that I would put it up there with like what uh, we've been able to see on HBO's uh, Black Lady Sketch Show. Yeah. Um, and honestly, what they've almost turned that last season of Atlanta into, because I know he spoke about that just being shorts. He's like, I want to make it so it doesn't matter that you've seen one and two. And I think that's why a lot of people had uh, backlash to Atlanta. But mm-hmm. uh, I think with streaming, you finally have the ability to make stuff like this. So I'm very curious to see um, yeah. just more specials. Totally, this reminded me a bit of I Think You Should Leave, even though I I don't think it's quite as funny as the Tim Robinson show. Best way to put it. Uh, Moving into TV series, actual, just regular, you know, TV, you know, remember TV, Zach, you know, just episodes of a season, and they may be renewed. For the fourth time, we don't do cable, uh, for the fourth (laughs) time, Westworld has returned, and I am so (sighs) behind, I am still on two. Oh, my God. What does this do differently? Should people who have hopped (laughs) off hop back on? Uh, You hopped off at the last time that I would consider Westworld to have been like a solid, good show. So I don't know if you should endeavor. Um, You know, at this point in in Westworld's uh, arc, if that's what we're going to call it, um, I think it's more a show that I watch because there are interesting ideas happening more than they are doing the ideas interestingly, right? Like they're, <laughs> there's a lot of fascinating concepts being thrown around and a lot of them are just sort of gibberish in the way that they're assembled with, you know, either you like, either they are intensely forecasted and obvious or they're the kind of things you would only really get if you do the Reddit deep dive and go mm. through those threads. It's and a homework show, you're right. It's yeah, like a, a lot of it is a homework show or it's a surface level show, and I I don't know I I get a little bit frustrated with that balance because there are so many like f- beautiful locations and fascinating production design. the The futurist vision that they are able to put together is consistently just some of the most beautiful uh, production design on television right now, and it's just met with the often the most dull writing. Um, Mm. They keep like writing themselves into circles to Evan Rachel Wood is playing an entirely new character this season. Why is she an entirely new character? Uh, Well, you'll just have to wait to find out. Uh, And they, they brought back a character who also hasn't been on the show for a little bit. Why do we keep circling back to these people who were like nicely tied up in different ways? I, I don't really know. It's just like afraid to, get rid of the recognizable faces or something like that. I'm not sure why Ed Harris is still on this show. Uh, Jeffrey really? Wright, who's con- <laughs> Jeffrey Wright, who's consistently my most, uh, my one of my most favorite performers to watch does not show up in the first episode of season four. I don't know. I, I'm just a little bit lost. If I'm being honest with Westworld, I, I think the thing that they like to do is throw out a lot of threads in the beginning of the season. Mm. And then like, wait for you to follow those threads mm. for them to really pay off. And they, they do kind of like a mini reset again at the beginning of the season. So I don't know. They've set some things up, but I'm, I'm just like, I'm not that invested yet. I'll keep watching. Cause it's like, it's just what I do at this point, but I don't know. Uh, I'm a little lost with Westworld. I'm curious to see if other people are more on board because between like the the crazy timeline shenanigans of season two and the the you know implanting of 
of consciousnesses into different bodies in season three. Oh, they're probably doing such, that? Okay. It's such a mess of a show at this point that I'm, I find it like a chore to really like care that much about the continuity. I, I'm more into it for like the moments and the ideas, I guess. How's Maeve's in it? I mean, then Dway is fun. Then Dway is always fun on this show. Uh, she gets a pretty badass moment pretty early. They've turned her into like the ultimate badass now. Uh, okay. But I'm again like I didn't know why they kept her character on after the first season. You know, like they they do these they do, they do this thing where they actually do interesting arcs and then they erase the arcs by trying to keep the characters going. That sucks, dude. Season one, I still think is one of the best, it's a great like, season. Seasons packaged whole product that HBO has been able to put out, and I, I feel like they've been like the way you s- describe it. They've been chasing for that ever since. Oh well, Westworld. Yeah, so. I mean, I'll let you know if it gets any better. Uh, if Aaron Paul's hairpiece gets any better, but I'm, I'm mostly <laughs> just going to be watching that. it to see if they do anything like crazy midway All through right. the season. Well, one day I'll catch up to it. But Westworld season four streaming on Sundays, right? Over on yeah. HBO. Sunday nights. Um, oh, keeping it to the HBO, we got two other things. Uh, you were not able to catch the first one, but I did not realize this was weekly when we were touting it next week. Mind yeah. Over Murder, a docu-series Nan-Fu from Wong. Nanfu Wong, who we think yeah. is, for me personally, speaking for myself, she is the one, bro. She is yeah. she is the documentarian we need in these times. Her Theo so Anthony. Do- oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And the dude who did a a dissident, too. Like, if they make something, I am paying attention. This is a docuseries about the craziest story that I've never heard of, of a little town in Nebraska where a woman was murdered and multiple townspeople said, yeah, we did it. Actually, not psych, we didn't. And the town to this day is still trying to piece together what happened. And now they're making a play because she, like, was in the theater where townspeople will be playing the townspeople who may have killed the townsperson. This is some, like, uh, the act of killing kind of shit. Yes. Um, I've seen the first episode, and I think it's very fascinating the way she's able to sit down and interact with the subjects, a lot of the townspeople, the way that they're able to discuss where they were during that time, what animosities they may have had towards each other. Um, Just breaking down the case is also done very interestingly by going piece by piece of what happened. What was the crime scene like? Uh, So the first episode has been all set up, and it definitely leaves you with the intrigue. Uh, It's going to be six episodes. I am very curious to see... Uh, how all of it unfolds, especially with yeah. this narrative of actually having people try out for the play that they're going to do about this murder that happened in this town. Uh, it's streaming over on HBO Max. I'm not exactly sure what days, but like I said, it will be going up until the end of July. If you have not seen any of her other docs, definitely hop on them. All, all of them. Multiple of them are on uh, HBO as well. Which one would you start with? One Child Nation or... Uh Wait, is the other one in the, other sa- one's on in the same Prime. breath on HBO? It's on Prime? In, in okay. the same breath is on HBO. One Child Nation is on Prime. But I think she has something else that's on HBO as well. So I'll start mm. with whatever the HBO ones are. So that way you only have to pay the one or get the free trial subscription <laughs> uh, as soon as this wraps and be able to binge it all together. But yeah, she is one of the best documentarians we've got out there. And this is a very fascinating show so far. So if you don't have this on your list, definitely put it on your radar. Another awesome. one on HBO to wrap it up here really quick. Do you know anything about Menudo? Zach, you ever heard about this boy band, Menudo? Um, I mean, my biggest 
knowledge is this is the Ricky Martin. Uh, yes. Yeah, Ricky, Mar- uh, Ricky yeah, Martin. Ricky Martin band. Uh, so Menudo is pretty much a band where they would have kids uh, who are like, I don't know, like 10 to 15. And then once yeah. you're 15, you have time to recast <laughs> and get a new one. And this kind of gets into that idea of the Latin boy band uh, from Puerto Rico and how big they got and were able to become universal. They cross over from being in Spanish to English. And it's a lot of fascinating stuff there. Uh, and then obviously it turns into this documentary that's looking at the manager and how he pretty much was able to get all the rights to these kids that he was their guardian. And then it unfolds into uh, a bunch of madness. Uh, it's really interesting to see a lot of the archival stuff. Uh, my mom, obviously, she saw them live. So I saw oh, this yeah. with her to get her input. You know, we'd pause and she'd say something. Yeah, he wasn't as good right. as the other one. Or yeah, this is when they started <laughs> going downhill. Um, but it, it's just fascinating to like see their impact on culture. Uh, but they don't have Ricky Martin. You know, they don't have like, mm. Johnny. They don't have a lot of the people who I think would have really made this you know the the next step up as like the uh, a big monumental look at menudo without right. having you know some of the biggest voices from there mm-hmm. uh, but i still think it's worth the watch it's one of those documentaries where it's split into four parts and the four parts are like 40 45 ish minutes so it really is mm. a doc but split in episodic ways so uh if you're interested in catching this one uh i'd give it i'd give it the thumbs up uh over on hbo it's a nice little recap of the band and uh what the different 31 people bro 31 kids had to go through um <laughs> So definitely put this one on your radar if you are interested. Moving to Netflix. I am surprised you said you caught two episodes because from what I know, I think you care for the Umbrella Academy. Well, I said I only caught two, Arturo. (laughs) The Umbrella Academy is back for season three. This comes from Gerard Way, who uh, if you're a Green Day fan, then this is for the My Chemical Romance fans who like something wacky, something crazy. He wrote the graphic novel for this, the comic series. Um, And I think they're practically at that point where they're Game of thrones it because I think they've reached a level where they're kind of... uh, Past the comics? It's Uh, it's like it's past the comics, but at the same time, there's a bunch of stuff from volumes one and two that they haven't done. Maybe they're more like like Walking Dead it, where it sort of goes on its own path. Exactly. A little bit like that. Um, So season three, uh, I don't think anything has beat season one. And I think the characters, they're not doing anything different, but I can definitely see a lot of people getting tired uh, with the, I guess, <laughs> the shticks for a lot of these characters or a lot of the zaniness that happens in the yep. show. Uh, tell me, before I get into more of it, your outside opinion from someone who isn't an Umbrella Academy uh, connoisseur, I guess if you want to call it. <laughs> I mean, I've watched the entire first two seasons, um, did not enjoy either of them very much, Okay, uh, but I did watch them. Uh, I don't know, man. This is just a show that has... It's just very extra, I guess, if I can borrow the phrase. <laughs> no, that's the best uh, way to put it. It's, it's, um, it's definitely like a hat on a hat in a lot of points to me. I, um, they have a new character on season three that's like a floating cube. And they have this ongoing bit where the floating cube is supposed to be funny. So the floating cube goes and then everybody laughs at the floating cube, which would be like an okay joke. But then because it's umbrella Academy and it doesn't know when good enough is enough, everybody then goes around this room and says, that one was so funny. Wow. You're hilarious. So you should tell that one again. And it's like, it's, we, we get it. We don't need it. It's enough. And, and 
yeah, I I was mostly curious to see how they would handle uh, the the Elliot Page transition uh, w- with the character. Given that this show is so extra, I was worried they were going to do something crazy. The most and subtle then, thing they've ever done. It's the it's it doesn't fit because it's the only like restrained piece of filmmaking in all three seasons of this show. I thought it was nice. Um, I could do a little bit less with the piano that tells you how to. Feel Feel, but I thought it was nice. <laughs> it's not better than the previous seasons. And I think uh, if you're someone who doesn't like your answers to be or your questions to be answered only to be hit with more questions than you were expecting answers, then this is not going to be the show for you. It has entered full comic book territory where you're dealing with multiple timelines and paradoxes and doppelgangers and it's been the end of the world three seasons already uh and i'm pretty sure that's not going to change for the fourth but if you're a person who likes the dance numbers boy are there dance numbers in this if if you still (laughs) enjoy all the quirky characters the characters are just as quirky as all the other ones but i will say they flipped some stuff for the character of ben who people have been waiting to finally see him embody Mm with a different ben who's a jerk (laughs) i couldn't find out though the guy who does ben it's our dude from uh Showtime, Sundance, Colin Farrell, one of the best movies. Oh, after Yang. Wait, that's after Yang? That's Yang. Yes, that's Yang. Okay. Wait, no, no, I'm back in on Umbrella Academy. No, I now. told you, bro. It's, it's just a really, it's a jam packed uh, crowd over here. Uh, I will say they've also flipped some characters. Like for Allison, a lot of people liked her story arc when it came to season one and then in season mm-hmm. two and the stuff she had to go through. And dude, I have been looking around. Obviously, I think it's rough what she's going through, but I'm a person who was like, damn, this is the season where they made her make some questionable decisions, but they'll change it in the future. People are like, we are done with her. I'm right here in the comment <laughs> section. We got Bruce Wayne coming in saying, uh, Allison was character assassinated. <laughs> there are some decisions that happen in this show that I just don't see how you can look back on these people. Um, but I'm still on board with it. I don't think season three is any different than season two was. Uh, so like you said, if you're not, on the show this isn't going to be the one that changes it for you if you are on it i think it's again going to expand so much that season four can literally take it wherever they want these have become full comic book characters where you're not really looking at the repercussions that i don't know a grounded television series would be uh but this is way past that you know you got five talking to his older self before talking to his younger self about what he's going to do in the future after the third apocalypse that they're facing it ain't that type of show um it's really one that you're just focusing on the characters for it and i think the characters still give similar performances to what they've given in the past were you able to meet ashtray yeah ashtray what did you think? Getting, getting some work um I I don't know. I mean, he definitely has uh, stereotyped himself a little bit in the violent little kid role. Uh, I I haven't seen a whole lot, so he's only had a chance to set one thing on fire so far. Did you? Yeah. Did you care about the uh, Sparrow Academy? Because I know that was another one where they don't. It's like the big setup of what's going to happen this season. I would say they don't really get into it as much as I was expecting to. Do you care? Yeah, not about- really. I mean, I think one thing that has frustrated me with Umbrella Academy, something that frustrated me about the the second season too, is that like I think they set you up with all these different plot lines and then they kind of treat each new season as like a all right let's start fresh and a lot of the things they asked you to invest in in the previous thing are are dropped because like oh here's all the new circumstances I, I don't know um i just 
I don't know. I, I wasn't that into. I wasn't that invested in it at least thus far. But like I said, I'm not. I'm not super into it. I'm a little. So I'm not sure though. I'm trying to read your reaction. Like you seem like you. You seem like you're tolerating the show, but you also like elements of it. Like, are you are you mixed? Are you mixed positive? I. So it's like when season one came out, it was a very interesting take on comic books because of the dysfunctional family that they have. And mm-hmm. I feel we're, we're doing that for the third season, if that yeah. makes any sense. So it's like, right. I can't... There's not a lot of growth. I can't, well, like, I can't be negative on it because it's consistent, but it's just like I'm waiting for the next thing yeah. that set it apart in the first season. That's it. And it, I don't know, it's like a weird thing because then if it does something so out of the ordinary, is that then changing the whole concept of the show? I don't know. I know it sounds mm-hmm. a little confusing but i think for a lot of people the way that they've now tried to do something different with the characters like i said with allison by the end of the season people don't like that you know there are certain marks where a character does something and then you feel like they've crossed the line it's funny because i consider allison's character and wanda to be so close and to zach to hear fans who (laughs) who uh forgive wanda for certain things not forgive allison is funny Mm, the same way that allison fans don't forgive wanda but don't forgive allison it's and I'm just, it, it's weird. A bit strange, perhaps. A, a bit, a, a lot of madness going on, Zach. They're the same to me. Do you have a favorite out of these? Out of the main cast? Uh, out of the main cast? I mean, I think... That's my boy right here. Because the thing is, I want, I want to say Klaus, but also That's Klaus is annoying. He's a lot. But He's they love lot. Klaus. I think Klaus is a fan favorite. This is my boy right here, number five. I don't know how they've gone away with it, Zach. The Walt syndrome has not hit this boy yet. I don't know how that's not happening. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forget he's on this show sometimes, man. But yeah, he's great. Yeah, He's like 18 already, so I don't know. That's why they had him finally holding he's out. He's got a young also. face. I got one for you, though. From the new group um, that they had, Genesis Rodriguez probably being the biggest one out of the bunch, uh, they had one character who like spits something out. And I was like, she yeah. looks familiar. I, I know where you're going with this. Uh, that would be, I, I'll curb my enthusiasm for for the reveal, but. Oh, Cassie David, Larry David's daughter. And for some of you, and I have this because I'm still cutting up for the LME. I had to go all the way back. I was like, no, no, no. I've seen her in something and she isn't in a lot of stuff. So there's an episode of Hannah Montana where Larry David tries <laughs> to get a table. And he can't get the table, but Hannah Montana can get the table. And it, it's her. She goes a lot. She's like, yeah, well, Hannah Montana could have gotten us the table, Dad. Um, <laughs> it just, it hit me. Uh, so I'll, I'll be cutting that up for the LB. But overall, uh, if you're a fan of Umbrella Academy, it's doing the same. If you're not a fan of Umbrella Academy, it ain't going to be for you. But as someone who's caught up with all the comics, including the newest Claus spinoff that they have, where he really you know, spends time in the void and thus no character can ever die in this series, um, I just want to see them do something zany again that's not the same quirkiness in one hotel. Maybe, maybe it was the pandemic that also really limited it because you have to think, think about how they were stuck in this hotel for the longest time and the only time that they left, they were paired in twos. And that, right. that was so apparent in the writing. So I want to say that this season wasn't able to go to the next level because they were very much limited in how they had to film it. But Brel Academy, season three, up on Netflix. And There's I'm something sure also about like there always being like an apocalyptic event it's just, it, that like lessens the stakes in a weird way too. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about a heist, though, Zach? What if, let's say, Ooh. Netflix was like, let's do another heist, but this time, Ooh. this time the heist isn't in Mexico, or wherever and, the last one was. And it's just the, to be clear, the heist, we're we're stealing money for this heist, correct? We do steal money for the heist for Netflix. 
Okay. Uh, but this time in Korea. I also have it here that's uh, titled Joint Economic Area. I have not been able yes, to catch up. With okay. <laughs> you haven't watched this show, so you don't know the craziest part about this show. I do it's, not. It's not just that this is a show about a group of bank, uh, of bank robbers or whatever in Korea. This is a show that takes place in a fictional universe where North and South Korea are united. And this they're robbing the joint economic areas bank. So like <laughs> these countries that have been at war for, for a long time now are reunite are, are united. And that's not even the focus of the show. That's just happening in the background. That's just like character information. Um, it is a pretty crazy show. I, I say this also without having uh, seen the original Spanish series to compare it to. So I don't know how much of this stuff they're borrowing, but it's a really fun uh, mixture of like the, you know, the thrilling, uh, the, the thrilling suspense of a bank heist with like this, these twist in turns in like the story that are kind of soap operatic, but also just fun. So you forgive them. Um, I think it's a show that you can see that they've invested clearly in it because the design of the show and the world of the show is really big and, and beautifully done. It's a very fun and effective bank heist uh, show. I mean, like, it takes the whole, like, tension of the bank heist movie and it has thus far elongated it over two episodes. That I've only seen the first two, but it's, it's dynamic and it's fun. Um, it has a few actors that I was surprised to recognize uh, as well. Uh, uh, but I don't know, man. It's it to me. It's a pretty enjoyable show, even if it is kind of broad and crazy. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to land this plane, but I'm in for the journey at least thus far. I mean, I, I heard it's supposed to be like just a remake of the original. So if the original went six seasons, Zach, they got another six seasons to just tra translate over here, bro. I saw. Uh, Eugene Kim's in this, dude. Sun's in this. I didn't know that. Yeah, Sun's in Damn. this. Damn. So, yeah, I'm going to have to hop on this. Uh, I, I kind of want to make a video for this because Money Heist has still been the number one <laughs> most requested LME that we've uh, been asked for. So I want to do Money Heist Korea first and then see how that dwells. But all right, I'm glad you like it. I'm very curious to know your yeah. thoughts on the original if you do end up catching that one. I'm not sold on it completely, but it is like broad and fun. And there's just like all these details that are, are enjoyable. Maybe really what this is telling me is that I should watch the Spanish show, yeah. but thus far I'm in. So all right. yeah. Money heist Korea all out in one day too. Right. So yeah. Binge Netflix. It's all there. <laughs> Another one you could binge is <clears throat> Mr. Bean fighting a B. This says it's 10 minutes. Some episodes are like 25. Some episodes are nine minutes. It varies. Uh, this is Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean. Some yeah. of you know it's him always as nice English. when net when Netflix doesn't limit an artist to a specific runtime and they just let them, you know, kind of do whatever they creatively desire. These vanity projects getting out of control, Zach. So this is a man who's getting sued by a couple because he is paid to babysit their house. He's one of those house sitters. But a bee gets in the way. And it's because mm. of this darn bee uh, that he practically blows up the house. <laughs> and he's like, As one does. Yeah, he's like, listen, let me explain. It, the bee made me do it. And that's the whole series. <laughs> I got nothing else to say. This would work as a YouTube original. This would, this would work as a Roku original. Netflix got the rights to it. Uh, if you like seeing this man do faces, it's him doing what he does. Uh, I, yeah. 
he's consistent, you know? It's a CGI B, though. The CGI B is so goofy. <laughs> and it's amazing, though, how much he's able to accomplish despite cancel culture. Literally. Yeah, so uh, that that's what Mr. Bean does. He dodges it all. Just can't dodge this bee. Man vs. Yeah. Bee over on Netflix. Cinema is still alive. It's also alive over on Hulu. Hulu. Because, Zach, there is a little show called The Bear. It's an the FX Bear. Hulu... <laughs> that's a good one. I appreciate that reference. I, I got that you. one. Yeah. Uh, that takes place in Chicago. All released, already ready to go. Uh, I have been to this actual establishment, uh, the original beef. Hmm. Uh, they changed the name a little bit here, but, uh, I mean, this is a Chicago show. It is about a, a, a chef who is trying to kind of revamp this little beef spot, uh, in Chicago to see what he could do with it. And, you know, they really relish in the Chicagoness mm. of it, Zach, you know, nice. they, they love showing you all the iconography. There is an episode that begins with, um, a, a radio jockey just going, and now Sufjan Stevens. And <laughs> It very much knows uh, Chicago to the point that it's seeing it in a lens where it's almost making fun of it. It is very uh, excessive in its Chicago-ness. But it is also a very interesting story of a guy who's not only taking care of the restaurant uh, because it's been left to him. It's been left to him because his brother was addicted and offed himself. And then you get probably one of the darkest dramas happening within this like very hectic uh cooking show because uh a couple of weeks ago i talked about that one with um stephen graham where it all takes place in one go in the kitchen and this very much has that element to it as well i'm I'm blanking on what the name of that one was (sighs) um and it's like a double entendre with the boiling point boiling there we go that's a very good uh movie that i would highly recommend and i would highly recommend the show i really like the characters on the show yeah uh the dynamics that they have because you know most of the people who are working in this place they just see it as a fast food place he's trying to come in after working at the greatest restaurant in the world as they continue to tell you Mm -hmm. uh, and he's trying to make something different you caught the first two episodes what'd you think um, you know, restaurants are a pretty cool place to set your thing, whether it's a movie or a show. I think there should be more stuff set in restaurants. So I should probably check out Boiling Point as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's a cool environment and it just ends up being this place that you bring together the pressure, the pressures of a, a dynamic work environment. You bring in an eclectic cast of characters and the show has kind of hit both of them, right? Like you have an interesting work environment that you want to learn more about. You want to learn like, why is this place in debt? Like, how are they struggling to turn? What are they going to do to turn it around? Uh, the cast of characters is interesting. Like they, a diverse set of people who all are very like unique in the energy that they bring. Um, so I, right away, I feel like those elements are working for me. My reaction from watching the first episode was that it felt like the fourth or fifth episode. Like, this is a very confidently confidently yes. directed series. This series know, knew what it wanted to be exactly from the moment that it started, and it didn't really waste time with, like, here's my first day at the restaurant. Oh, like, here's me getting the news that, like, sets the series in motion. No, like, we are we're on the ground, we're rolling, we're cooking, we're, we got lunch orders ready to go, you know? And, and I... I think that is a good sign that the show has that much confidence in what it's trying to put out there, that it's that dynamic and interesting from the get-go, um, it, that it'll hopefully continue on that runway. I was a little bit like, uh, <laughs> it's a, 
I, I don't know if I bought the the shooting a gun in the air to resolve your rowdy customer situation stuff. Like I know it's Chicago, but but still America. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> still there, America. I I, I hope. I hope there are few fewer elements like that or fewer moments like that, but most of the show I was really vibing with. I love this show. But you're yeah. right. This show thinks it's taking place in Chicago 2022 and Chicago 1945 <laughs> at the right. same damn time, bro. Uh, yeah, it mixes like two different eras uh, at the same time, and it is pretty funny. I, I think that uh, Jeremy Allen White's performance is really yeah. good. Uh, I, I always go, ah, like, oh, it's that dude from... From that one show, Shameless. Yeah, can't get that boy out of Chicago. Jeremy Allen White. Yeah, that, that's the boy's name. I think he does a really good job. I think Ayo, who I've yes. literally, other than voice work, have seen her in the Rachel and Ayo show. Um, mm-hmm. She is fantastic. We've been hyping her up. Dude, she's no, she's like one of those, she's going to be one of the next people. She and is she's good. got a chance here. She's got this level of comedy, right? Just like uh, from Shiva Baby does, where mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a sp- specifically one point in episode three where she's just so stone cold. It catches like the other characters off guard, probably even the other actors. It's it, <laughs> I, I really like the dynamic that they're able to bring in just different dialogues, like you said, because all the characters have different backgrounds. Uh, so it's the way that they're interacting in this one place. And if you've ever worked in a kitchen, you know it's like that. It's not just working with other people. Uh, and at their pace and what they're going for, but their different outlooks of what every single person thinks the point of being at that nine to five uh, is meant to be. But I would highly recommend the show. All the episodes are out right now. And I'm telling you, each episode, in my opinion, just gets better. Um, awesome. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they're going to extend the show. Um, and I want to go get a beef, bro. Next, next time you're over, we're going to have to go visit. Yeah, visit let's this do spot. it. They don't sell half the stuff they say on this menu. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the original no spice spaghetti. still does it. Yeah, no spaghetti. I don't think I don't think they have any spaghetti. <laughs> but yeah, check this out. The Bear over on Hulu. Cool. The final one, just to give it a, a quick shout out, because I saw a couple of episodes, is uh, Maya Rudolph. Loot. Right? Yeah. Loot. She is a rich woman. A rich husband finds out rich husband's a cheater. She's finally going to be free, <laughs> and she got all the loot. She was, she's Mackenzie Bezos. Literally, yes. Uh, who's the other one? Uh, Gates. <laughs> She's oh, yeah, Melinda. Yeah, yeah. Melinda She's Gates. all wrapped into one, dude. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I like this concept of being able to have someone who's like so filthy rich and has never been in this position of trying to do good because she doesn't even understand what good is. She's always been in a very sheltered environment, now trying to figure it out. Uh, what's our dude's name from? Um, it was just in Fire Island. Oh, uh, Joel Kim Booster, right? That man is fitted. In this show, yeah. bro. The man is dripping in this show. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how much money he's supposed to be making off of being the assistant, but uh, I've only seen a couple of episodes. It's cute. It's funny. Uh, probably not up to the level of something as endearing or as funny as um, the previous show that she was in that the director or showrunner actually did for this one. I actually have it linked over here. One of our favorites from Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. Forever. We love that show. I would highly yeah. recommend going to go catch this one. This is I think what it only ended up being one season. Uh, the yeah. same dude who did that, Alan Yang, is also working mm-hmm. on this one over here. Um, so Loot's pretty good, but I would highly recommend Forever. Put that one on your radar. All right, Loot cool. is out on Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah, Loot has so many people that I like in it. I mean, beyond just Maya Rudolph, Ron Funches, you mentioned Joel Kim Booster, mm-hmm. uh, Adam Scott is in it. I saw Dylan Galula is in, uh, in a couple episodes. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious about it, although, like... I've been hearing some mixed feedback from the beginning, at least. Yeah, but it's all right. Not the funniest thing they have on Apple TV, but still pretty good. 
Uh, so that would be all the stuff that's on streaming, series, all the stuff that's theatrical. Probably my picks so far as we get to it later. Um, I just want to make sure people know to go watch The Bear on Hulu. That's it. <laughs> I think it's a pretty solid show. And the fact that it's all dumped out there is that because you know how Hulu does it and they won't renew something if people aren't like watching it in its first week. But it literally only gets one week because there's not going to be a second episode release later on. Whereas a lot mm-hmm. of the other ones are are done a little bit differently, but uh, you had some picture you wanted to mention from Tribeca, which we yeah. did not know is still streaming until July third. So if you're curious, still running at home. Yeah, it looks like they have some still some options available with the Tribeca at home. So hopefully you can catch some interesting movies. Uh, but I did want to highlight a few of my favorites that I've seen uh, over the past couple of weeks. Uh, one that I haven't men- yet mentioned on the show is Attachment. This is part of the Midnight section, so it's a uh, horror movie. It's uh, got a lot of suspense. It's thrilling. Um, this one is about a woman who uh, starts a relationship with a Jewish woman uh, only for the Jewish woman to have a seizure, and then they go to... Uh, their her mother's to try and like rehabilitate her, and then it becomes this interesting mix of like, you know, getting to know a new family and trying to like weave your way into like a new relationship matched with like a out of place culture clash thing and uh, interesting. And, you know, it, it you get through the experience of like, is my is my significant other's family weird or are they actually doing something scary? Um, I think it does. It plays at that like unfamiliarity and that that awkwardness of the position of not trying to overstep your bounds, but also trying to protect someone. It plays at these like dynamics in the relationship really interestingly. Uh, I always, I really love the way that they incorporate some of the Judaism stuff, uh, with the discussions of the Dybbuk. I don't know. It, it has like a very interesting, ominous vibe, but also like has moments of levity within it too. I dug this one. Uh, definitely one to keep on your radar if you're interested in kind of the the horror movie scene. Okay. Uh, so Attachment, probably one of the better horror movies I saw out of Tribeca. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead to Nude Tuesday because I, I want to save the other one for last because uh, Nude Tuesday is another interesting one. This one is co-written by Jackie Van Beek and the director Aman Balantine. Mm-hmm. Uh and the kind of interesting thing about, well, I'll say the plot. Uh, the plot is about this suburban couple that decides to go on a retreat to a sort of like sex rehab uh, retreat thing, a uh, new age uh, vacation spot. Okay. But the thing that sort of makes Nude Tuesday interesting is the entire film is spoken in a gibberish made up language. They made, they, there's like certain elements like names that, recur but the rest of it is all made up and what that did was afford them the opportunity to hire comedians to write subtitles for different regions so if you're watching this film in the uk or in australia you're getting subtitles written by the comedian julia davis but if you're watching this film anywhere else in the world you have them written by the comedian ronnie cheng um so I've only seen one version, but I'm very curious about how they'll change. There's all these different moments where like you can tell 
that these are jokes written in the end. Somebody hands somebody else a book and they say, oh, this is my new, new book called The Toothy Vulva. And obviously the book is not called that, but like if it's all spoken in gibberish, you can kind of add jokes in at the end. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily as funny as I would have expected given the like, you know, possibilities of it, but it's it's definitely charming. There's sort of like a sweetness to the movie that I wasn't expecting. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very funny. There's a funny Jermaine Clement performance in it as well. I dug this one more than I expected to, but it and it definitely makes me like want to go and track down the, the different other version. versions now. That's yeah. interesting, dude. Because I, I saw this was on there, and I figured, uh I've caught some of Jermaine's movies; they're, they're good. But it's like yeah. I could just wait till it gets the Hulu streaming release. Uh, I'll, I'll try to catch this one. Ho- hopefully, you, when it comes out on streaming, maybe you'll be able to pick the subtitles. Right, right. So the version that is through Tribeca, I think, is the Julia Davis version. Okay. So maybe worth catching it because we're supposed to get the Ronnie Chang version in the U.S. eventually. All right. I'm going to get on that one. New Tuesday yeah. out on Tribeca. All right. But let's talk about this last one, the integrity of Joseph Chambers. Yeah, this sure. is the new film from Robert Machoyan, who's a director who uh, emerged on our Radar with his last film, The Killing of Two Lovers, which was a Sundance premiere. You and Amanda had this on your top tens. So of, I think it was 2021. I'm not sure at this point, but yeah, and that's a that's a really strong, uh, kind of like small but interesting it's and good. powerful movie. I like it. I don't hulu. Uh, interestingly, the star of that movie, Clayne Crawford, who was also a producer on uh, The Killing of Two Lovers, is back with him on uh, the integrity of Joseph Chambers. He has a role in the film and he is a producer in the film. And I saw he's also uh, responsible for the wardrobe of the film. So I think that gives you a sense of like the, the smallness of these productions. There's an intimacy. There's not necessarily, you're not going to get like big sequences, Um, but there's something really powerful in the way they're able to, to do this. Um, You mentioned to me that, they brought back the sound design team from The Killing of Two Lovers for this one. Yes, they and did. They definitely did. They brought did. back the sound team. That was the this... one thing that I <laughs> loved about A Killing of Two Lovers. They do this thing with the sound where they're making the environment around him, the actual score, the composer, and the sound design were the same team. And mm-hmm. they used his everyday surroundings to create what would be this atmospheric type of uh, audio element. I guess they heard that praise and they said, well, how can we take that to the next level? Is it even spoilers to discuss what they do with the sound in this movie? I mean, I think we can say like at one point, you know, he's like pretending to be in an environment that he's not in, but the sound makes you feel like he's there. What he's thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah, it, it brings to life the like inner workings of his mind because the movie is about this guy, a man who trying to sort of like prove his manliness Mm -hmm. decides to go on a hunt for a deer. So a lot of the movie is sort of him alone in the woods, passing through time in his own head, thinking his own thoughts. And they're able to kind of like bring you into his emotional state with, with these interesting choices whether it's some eerie noises or it's like bringing in crowd noises at different points it's really cool um i think just one of those things that just reminds you of the power of film and that you can make a bold different choice like that and elicit a really effective emotion um 
you know, this it's a very atmospheric movie, and it's a, a slow-moving movie, but I think the way that it builds tension, it, it needs to move Tease. at that pace. It has yeah. to. Yeah, it's it a tease, needs. and even more than that, it's a comedy. Yes. Oh, there's they a think moment they're funny. That happens. There's a moment that happens after you've watched him dig a hole for about two minutes, and it's one of the funniest things I've seen all year. Um, I, I don't know, man. This is just a... <laughs> It's a dry it's a dry humor because there's a lot of darkness, but I think there's like something very like audacious in the way they're sort of like you know they're really they're really like analyzing this man for his worth through this film and I, it it really worked for me um right. it built on me and i I dug it I don't think I like it as much as killing of two lovers, but I think it's really strong. Uh, especially for something as minimalist as this one is, yeah. and definitely makes me want to watch like whatever this dude does next. Obviously, I agree with you. I'm on the same radar for that. I don't know how much of the audio elements that they used uh, worked for me. Some of it was like, all right, this is not that it's a tad <laughs> goofy, but it's just like I get it. We're we're in his head. Um, yeah. But I, I like that they took the chance and did something different with it. So I'm very curious to see what their next thing is again watch the killing of two lovers over on hulu uh and so far i'd say this is one of my favorites in my top five of what i've caught out of tribeca for sure though so the integrity of joseph chambers dope yeah um so we'll we'll eventually wrap up tribeca and do whatever our top threes or top fives were Mm -hmm. but yeah i would put integrity of joseph chambers and the other two that i mentioned as well uh among them for sure Moving on to the yay or nay. Zach had a couple Let's of things that he had on the horizon to bring up to me. I, I don't know any of this, so yeah, talk man, about that I'm first very, one. I'm very excited to talk to you about at least the first thing for sure, because just announced today, Jim Henson's Creature Shop is teaming up with the Royal Shakespeare Company to bring Hayao Miyazaki's My Neighbor Tortoro to the stage. Are right, yay or nay, we should plan a trip to England. Oh, it's in England. Yeah. Oh, it's on the West End. Uh, Not the East Coast. Come on. No. It's the Shakespeare, Royal <sighs> Shakespeare Company. That sounds really dope, dude. They'll tour. They'll tour. They better tour. That sounds amazing. Like, it, it's like the the best in puppetry wow. matched with the best in stage productions matched with the best in children's storytelling. What? That sounds pretty dope. They say it's the same team who did, uh, I guess, the recent Le uh, Mis and the Matilda one, which I've heard really good things about. All right, then. That Yeah, that's a big A for me. Yeah. That's pretty definitely, cool. Definitely want to see that whenever I get the chance to. Uh, and then we also had a question over from the Discord. Thanks, Brady, for uh, asking us about this. He wanted to talk about Cooper Rafe, who just put out Cha-Cha Wish Real Smooth. Man. On Apple TV Plus, uh, and Cooper, excuse me, uh, Brady was comparing Cooper and his work to Richard Linklater. So, Art, what do you think, yay or nay? Is Linklater an apt comparison for young Cooper Rafe? I see the comparisons there, kind of like the way that he's talking about his experience in college. Because mm-hmm. he 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 started straight from college. He hasn't really done high school movies, which is where I feel. Um, Linklater was able to do a lot with with it's Slacker and Slacker. such. Um, they both, I guess, came out of Texas, if you consider South by. I don't know where Cooper's yeah. from. Uh, Dallas area, I think. Is he? Oh, well, okay. There's another connection there. I, I, I see a lot of the comparisons there. Um, definitely a millennial version of him. But yeah, yeah no, that's a, that's a fair comparison to make. Uh, it's just 
different in the sense of what they've had to approach. You know, it's what we always say about the Safdie brothers. They were like the last of the youngins who were still mm-hmm. doing the, hey, let's try to get you in a theater while we're trying to make our production with film right before the full streaming age has come in. I feel this dude is very much a streaming era director he won his first one without ever having an audience to see his first movie you know same thing with his second one premiering at sundance virtually um something that could only happen with the technology that we have here uh but yeah i think i think it's an interesting comparison have you eased up on the man or do you still hate him (laughs) did you print out the new york times article i rewatched chacha i rewatched chacha real smooth this week and i was i was delighted by it i I, i'm glad to hear i came in i came in with my full cynic monocle on and and I, I ended up fogging up the monocle with my tears because Cooper is just like oh, that sweet Cooper. and charming of a guy. I don't know, man. Oh. Uh, there's definitely like elements of Cha-Cha Real Smooth that still don't work for me. Like I still don't really think Dakota Johnson's character works, but I, I think it's a I do still think it's a good movie and um, just, I don't know, man, I empathy, empathy resonates with me. Um, as for the link later comparison. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a solid one. I think they both kind of make the, these sort of slack um, s- movies with, with space, with, with room to just kind of listen to their characters talk about stuff. Right. And, and that's something that not a lot of directors are focused on, but I think that's the thing that Linklater and Rafe really, really like is, is listening to their characters. Um, and th- th- that love for their characters. That said, I don't know if, uh, Linklater ever had like a $15 million deal with a mega company. Like, like that's that. what I mean. So, yeah. yeah. It's di- different outlets for different yeah. things. So, oh, well, We'll see how how their careers go. I don't know if he's got his next one lined up yet, but I'm telling you, I think Chacha's still going to be talked about towards the end. He of the actually, year. in the article that I uh, linked at the bottom, there is a paragraph about Trashers, which is his next movie. Uh, okay. It's a father-son drama set in the world of hockey. And supposedly he's not going to be acting in this one, so I'm definitely I'll curious to it see when I see it. <laughs> I'm curious <laughs> to see like what what's different about a Cooper Rafe movie that isn't starring Cooper Rafe. We'll if that's see. Okay. The case, yeah. It's gonna be like the boys, bro, from Moon Knight. Uh, <laughs> they leave to go do the thing, and then we we crave for them to come back. Just please be back in front of the camera. <laughs> but all right, good luck to Cooper Rafe. Uh, I like him. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I rooting like him. for him. Moving on to the new. To see all of the Let's stuff coming to streaming theaters on demand, all that good stuff. Uh, in June twenty eighth, Zach, Endangered on HBO Max. This is playing at Tribeca. Did you get to catch it? I actually haven't yet, but uh, yeah, I'll try and catch up with it. It's the one from Heidi Ewing. Uh, we really like. Yeah, uh, I carry you with me from Sundance. Made she a also lot of did great docs. Jesus Camp, which Shit. is like one of the great what documentaries. The Freakonomics, like the adaptation yeah. to the book that like was all over the place back when I was in high yeah. school. So yeah, Endangered coming out on HBO Max. You got to talk about this one. Only Murders in the Building. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't caught up with the screeners. You uh, love season one. Yeah, they sent us the screeners, and that's been, like, I keep being like, oh, man, I should really start those. Uh, and, you know, it's something about the June 28th date. It told, I, I got into my head like, oh, that's that's so far. I don't need to start that yet, and, and now it's this week, and I haven't yeah. watched any of it. But I love that first season, man, so I'm, I'm definitely excited to get back into that world. Sounds good. Uh, June 29th? June 29th. I uh, don't care. So, Zach... <laughs> Yeah, the Baymax series over on Disney Plus. You're not pumped to return to the world of uh, I. I even forget the name of the movie that he's yeah, from, Big you, Hero you, Six. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. 
there's an exclamation point, but I'm just saying Baymax. <laughs> Baymax dot dot dot. Baymax. Uh, I see that Maya Rudolph is attached to this series. I think is she, she was a voice in the, the mom. I think she was a voice in the movie. Yeah, she's the why. mom in every animated movie now. Pretty much. Well, I guess she's the aunt. She's the, she's Aunt Cass, which I think was oh, the mother okay. figure in the okay. movie. So regardless, that's of- very different. July first, over on Hulu, we have The Princess, which is starring Joey King. Uh, this is one of their uh, Disney acquired movies from Twentieth tw- Century she's Studios. Fox, yeah. Art, have you had a chance to catch The Princess yet? Do you know anything about this one? I only know one thing. I have not, Zach. It's just been sitting there collecting dust in yep. my screeners app. But there's Virtual one, dust. Yeah, there's this one thing that uh, you know when they uh, mute the uh, ratings and they don't allow you until <laughs> they up. You, you know you're in for a treat. Yep. Always definitely, always a good sign when the embargo is midnight. Uh, also on July 1st, we're getting accepted out Very in good theaters movie. and VOD. Speaking of Tribeca, this was a Tribeca movie last year. Mm-hmm. And one of the standout documentaries, we talked a lot about we're getting all these documentaries about the pressure of sending kids to college. Mm-hmm. And this is probably the most damning of all those documentaries we talked about. Yep. Uh, d- discussing the scandal at a particular school uh, where they were abusing kids and faking grades to try and get kids into uh, or keep their like 100% college acceptance streak going. A uh, very interesting movie uh, worth catching for I don't sure. Uh, just theaters and VOD so far, but really? maybe maybe soon. We'll let you know. Uh, we got to talk a little bit about Minions, The Rise of Gru. That's the big movie this weekend. Everybody's clearing the way because you can't compete with Steve Carell. That's oh that's like goodness. box office gold right there. It's been, uh, yeah. This is one, two, three, four, the fifth in the Minions Despicable Me universe. There is a Despicable Me 4 already in the works uh, for next year or the year following like that. The Minions, though, Zach, not to get it confused with their cinematic universe. These are the prequels. So if you're working on a prequel uh. Despicable Me, then it's a Minions, whatever the subtitle is. So this would be the sequel to... Uh, is this is this the first in the timeline or the second in the timeline then? Don't get it confused. There's some shorts also that come into play, but I don't want to oh, fully confuse okay, you in there, okay? Okay, okay. Uh, Minions would be the first one because that's like right. the Minions and how they've been looking for someone to worship. They find him at the end of Minions 1, you know, and then Minions 2, which is the rise of Gruzak, is when they're finally working with Gru. And he's, he's trying to make it out there. Now, I would consider at least watching Despicable Me 3, Minions <laughs> 1, and parts of Despicable Me 2 to fully understand the references being made in this cinematic uh, achievement that is Rise of Gru. But for the most part, uh, I would also recommend a lot of 70s uh, retrospective viewings because it takes place in the 70s. And they actually get, this was what really surprised me, John claude Van Damme voices <laughs> John Claus. The supervillain with a claw. <laughs> well, you think Jean-Claude Van Damme is too busy to be in Minions, The Rise of Gru? Taraji P. Henson <laughs> replays, uh, what is it, Proud Mary, but in the Minions movie. Dolph Lundgren <laughs> plays a version of Dolph Lundgren. Danny Trejo plays a version of Danny Trejo. And Michelle Yeoh plays a version of Michelle Yeoh in this movie. <laughs> cool so i guess they were good. able to get a, a huge cast they um, got they got uh, good that they got those bags i soundtrack. guess soundtrack is no talking about a bag if you see yeah. a soundtrack to this thing tierra I mean, whack 
Brockhampton. They, ha- they always bring out they bring out the big guns for these soundtracks. It's yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I mean, Happy. I think it's still like one of the biggest soundtrack songs of all time from Pharrell. Uh, the movie is fine, bro. <laughs> the movie's okay. It's you know the tolerable thing that you go to go take the kids to. I am. Uh, I don't mind the minions. I like the minions. I find their language funny because it's like a third Spanish, uh, French, and then like Italian. So they make me crack up when they say like something really dumb, but they get over goofy here. I know you said you haven't seen any of the movies, but you actually do kind of need to see a couple for the references they make in here or just don't. It's just for the kids to see the uh, minions try to beat each other up. Oh, you went mute, dude. I can't hear you. I don't know if you got that excited. For the minions. <laughs> yeah, I got so excited about minions, I clutched the microphone too hard and muted it. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm almost curious to go see this one, having not seen any of the Despicables or Minions movies, just to be like, you know, like how how lost am I going to be? Really, like, can I? You did they actually up, make you this come movie? Out of fan. <laughs> there's just something. There's just something that's like so, um, cyn- like cynically cute about the minions that I've I've always pushed back against it like it it I I've didn't. never I've always looked at the minion and been like you are made to sell toys I've never like just been able to enjoy it and it's especially nefarious to me now that they're just in every liberty insurance commercial um but I don't know I guess I can try and hold my nose for 2 hours this weekend embrace it bro let it is a new phase in your life. Minions, Rise of Gru, out in theaters. Yeah, yeah. Not um, a lot else to look up. <laughs> we get our annual, uh, <laughs> what's her name, Jessica Chastain kind of action movie in The Forgiven. <laughs> Do you know anything about yeah. this? I, not, not only that it was like in a bunch of festivals and pretty much completely overlooked. Uh, yeah, Ray, Ray Fiennes also. We don't get a lot of movies with him either, but. You know? Uh, yeah. Dude. I guess this is like Christopher a, Abbott. The boy, so didn't have am, a Sundance movie this year. I am not looking forward to this movie, but it's got a lot of actors I like. It's it's that type of flick out there. I, I like Jessica Chastain. I just wish she would try to stop making these movies. Action star Jessica Chastain happen. Yeah, yeah. Now she's doing it in the summer. They're usually at the beginning of the year, which she had one this year. Three five five felt like yeah. it came out three hundred fifty five days ago. Hallelujah, <laughs> Leonard Cohen, A Journey, A Song played at Tribeca. It was pulled from the at-home screenings, so I did not get the chance to see it, but hey, yeah. Tribeca, those movies come out practically a week later. Um, <laughs> I'm curious in this. I, I like to see it's supposed to be how yeah. he wrote the song, um, but also very much looking into his life and how all of that connects. I think everyone knows the Hallelujah song. Yeah, And you gotta brush up on it before Bradley Cooper plays him, so. Shh, that's right! That's yeah. Okay, good thing. Just in time. And it's Sony Pictures Classic. I always like to mention that because I think they make really, really good documentaries. Yeah. That's a stamp of approval for me. Right. That's one of those studios. Like, you don't always want to mention the studio, but when you get a Sony Pictures, Sony Pictures Classics, Classics, that's a good movie right there. Yeah. Come on now. Mr. Malcolm's List, have you heard anything about this? No. It sounds like like a children's book or something like that. That's what I thought, and I had seen it because I guess I had a release over by you. It's based off of a short that came out in 2019. Uh, you know, give him a chance in it. Now it's a full feature length film. I've been hearing pretty good things about it. Uh, I'm going to request a screener because I believe this is going to be like a prime movie that's going to do theaters first and then go on prime. Um, I know nothing about this, but if anyone's seen this, I guess some people have caught it somewhere and they've been, they've been talking it up. So, uh, I just clicked on the director's letterboxed and she's directed three things. 
the short Mr. Malcolm's List, the feature Mr. Malcolm's List, and Inside the Life of Bella Thorne from 2018. What are you going to say? Inside the Life of Mr. Malcolm's List. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of looking forward to this one. So Mr. Malcolm's List is the final thing that comes out in theaters over from Bleecker Street. Uh, And then finally, we have two final things for Netflix. Stranger Things Season 4 Part 2. Have you seen the run times to these bad boys? Uh, I know the last one is like two and a half hours. It's like a whole Irishman. We should have a podcast together. I was literally about, that was my movie <laughs> reference I was going to say. Out of all the three-hour movies that we've gotten, I was still going to say Irishman. <laughs> Episodes I heard eight, you paint houses. You heard me. Uh, eight is an hour 40? Uh, they don't even got the times here on IMDb. I can't believe it. They're so uh, long. They they ran out of ink yeah. for the IMDb. And then, yeah, you're right. The last one's like two and a half hours. You excited? You know, weirdly, I am, man. Uh, we we talked about how we were not excited for season four, and then season four hit, and that was, that was pretty good TV. So I'm pretty surprised. I don't know. Yeah, uh, they are. They're promising there's going to be a body count of some kind, which has also been one of my criticisms of the show up to this point. So it better be I the right know. ones. Better be the yeah. right ones. Uh, but it is July 4th weekend. I feel like that's going to be the biggest thing in theaters. It's Minions. Yeah. At home, it's going to be Stranger Things. But also, you know, Military Man. I read this article that they ran up the numbers for Chris Pratt and that it has been a billion dollars that has been invested in this man between, um, what was it, Zero Dark Thirty to the terminal list of how <laughs> much money has been spent making this man like pretty much the face of uh, military stuff. I'll just put it that yeah. way. And this is his newest one, but this time it is a series. I, I caught one episode, uh, felt a little dry, but I'm I'm not done with it. It's prime. They love making this show. I mean, what mm-hmm. are all the other ones that they got? What, uh, Jack ja- Reacher. The Jack Reacher, Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. All, all the Jacks. <laughs> uh, is his name Jack in this, bro? I swear if his... I sw- James. Oh, they got so close. <laughs> oh. That, oh, that would be great. It's got our boy Taylor Kitsch, though. Oh, Riggins. Yeah. And Elvis is That's Riggins doing. So it... it it's a show to catch. I will be watching it. Full circle. Um, it, it definitely with the screeners that we got, I'm like, if I'm going to sit through this, I, I at least want to watch it in 4K, 4K. not the 720p yeah. they send it in. But the Terminal List, final thing that is out. Knowing all of that, Zach, what are your picks for the week, for the long weekend that is upon us? Oh, yeah. We got a long weekend. Jeez. Um, I guess, you know, I got some time then to catch up on Only Murders in the Building. Please. Binge through all my season two screeners. I'm excited for that. Um, and I guess I, I've got some time to watch <laughs> Minions Rise and Gru. No I don't know, man. Um, I've been, I've been mean, you know what I, I'm definitely going to watch is, um, Mind Over Murder, the HBO Please. series. Yes, that yeah, is really um, good. The chat told us that episode two is actually out now. So I got two episodes I can go watch. And then I also have more of the bear to stream over on Hulu. So those are probably the, uh, top three for me, Mind Over Murder, the bear, and then, uh, what were we just talking about? Uh, Mind I over murder already. the bear, and you said and only murders one in the and buildings. two is what you said. <laughs> only uh, murders in the building season two. Need some more Steve Martin, Martin short hijinks. I'm going to double it up with the bear. Just stay at home, watch nice. the bear. It is um, a tough show, I would say. It's not as easy as you think it is, because to a lot of people, if they haven't worked in a kitchen, I play Overcooked to relax, which may be crazy <laughs> to some people, so that's why I kind of like the show. It's definitely got that Chicago flair to it, and uh, I think the story's pretty powerful with some really good acting in there. Um, and then in terms of theaters, Top Gun. Let's get that Let's get that up the charts. Zach, Zach wants it in the top ten. I We're need, only five away. 
I need my prediction to come true so I can post the clip on Twitter and brag about it. Top 15 is already crazy, but top 10 of all time? That's... That's a little bit different right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, those would be my picks for the week. I want to give one little shout out over here because uh, our boy Brady literally said, uh, you mean the song from Shrek 2? Alina to Alina? Hallelujah is from Shrek 2. <laughs> you have to understand there's I a mean, whole generation who grew up associating, because Sing does this too. Yeah. Bono talked about how a lot of kids are going to listen to Sing and then think the songs are from there. And he said, I don't care as long as they know the songs and are streaming it. I mean that's the thing. It's like I want to I want to clown on that, but to me, Hallelujah <laughs> is the song the song from Scrubs, so it's not a whole lot better. <laughs> the music usually comes from somewhere. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I always find that stuff fascinating. But yeah, yeah. Um, hallelujah. All right. Uh, out of all the stuff that's out this <laughs> week, uh, the bear I think is probably the, the thing that you and I both agree on as the pick for, for the week. Sure. <sighs> All right, but that about does it for the weekend must watch. Um, hoping we'll we'll find some time to come back and talk about Barry season three because we still wanted to do that. We but do that. we're also recording our best movies of the year and best TV of the year so far episodes this week. So hopefully we'll get those out to you. If not uh, later this week, then over the July fourth holiday, um, and you know let us know what are some of the ones that you. Um, need or that you think need to be considered. Maybe we can get in some last minute watches before we record that stuff. So Hopefully you know, let us know. Not ten hour shows. Oh my god, yeah. I'm not. I'm not sitting down for ten hours of something I haven't finished. Although you know, got gotta get on pachinko, dude. Gotta get on pachinko. Okay. Um, All right. I will. Yeah. But anyway, we will uh, be back hopefully soon. But if not, make sure you keep tuned with the weekend must-watches every week. Uh, that's about it for this version. I'm Zach Shevich. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Shev- uh, Letterboxd, at ZShevich. That's Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H. And check out my YouTube or TikTok channels at Multiplex Show. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me over at LME Explain on Twitter, on YouTube, and on Letterboxd, or every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we run down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the Intercut Weekly Weekend Must Watch streaming on our YouTube channel. Usually we're on every Monday at 3 p.m., but we did a little bit of Intercut After Dark. Sometimes it's nice to, you know cozy up i got i got my alcoholic beverage i forgot to open um and we'll maybe we'll we'll actually remember to open them on next uh the next after dark but yeah come and hang with us every week on monday please leave a comment like the video and consider heading over to itunes to give us a much requested five star review i gotta go look up if we got any more reviews because it's been a little bit and uh also like our facebook instagram and twitter pages all of them are at intercut pod as is our patreon where you can support us for as little as one dollar a month and get access to early episode outlines the exclusive channels on the intercut discord and also our monthly Google Hangout meetings with the patrons. We had a really fun one last week. We'll uh, schedule our one for July soon. So yeah, head over to Patreon and thanks to our patrons. They are Ewan, Julieta, Garrett, Tim, Elizabeth, Josh, Ashley, 
Marianne, our Academy level members are to Char, Cademan, Connor, Pete, Sean, and May. And of course, a big thanks to our producer level patron known only mm. as Awkward. Head over to patreon.com slash intercutpod for that. But the rest of our social media, a great place to get updates throughout the week from me, from Art, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, Elvis met Priscilla Presley when she was only 14 years old. Bro. That's another thing they forgot to put into that movie. Bro! <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, know. sir.